You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the World Show on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Here's your host, Luke Mikic. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, today, I'm introducing an episode that I recorded with Phil Gibson, and I honestly could not think of anyone better to be talking to at this particular moment in time here in April 2022, as we watch the world melt down, okay? It is all happening in the geopolitical and the macroeconomic sphere. We have obviously Russia invading Ukraine. We have Russia and Putin giving the middle finger to the West, saying, guess what? If you want our oil and natural resources, you're going to have to pay us in gold rubles and bitcoin i think that's massive and a lot of people aren't talking about it um we obviously talk about uh the breakdown of the petrodollar system and phil follows um all of this really really closely so i think it's going to be a very wide-ranging conversation uh we also talk about um the po- the possibility of the united states weaponizing the us dollar a lot of people are talking about how the petrodollar system is breaking down and the US is about to lose its global reserve currency status. But Phil and I actually both share a pretty uniquely held view in the Bitcoin space. Um, and it's not a commonly held one. So I think you guys are going to enjoy that discussion. Uh, we obviously talk about uh, the possibility of states within the United States uh, fracturing off and succeeding. Uh, Phil is actually from Texas. So uh, we talk about the possibility of Texas succeeding from the United States. We kind of talk about it all. So I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Uh, literally just the week after I, I recorded this one with Phil, I got to meet him at Bitcoin Miami 2022. Um, and it was amazing. He's a really cool fella. Uh, I look forward to recording with him on the podcast plenty more times moving forward. Uh, speaking of some more people that I had the pleasure of meeting at Bitcoin Miami 2022, uh, let's hear from today's show sponsors because we have a new sponsor on board with us today, and that is the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Um, it is honestly probably one of the easiest hardware wallets I've actually used, and I've used them all. Okay, I've used cold cards, I've used a ledger, I've used Trezor, I've created my own multi-sig setups, but honestly, the Bitbox O2 is the easiest hardware wallet to use. I'm looking at it right now. It's sitting on my desk. It is slick. It is sleek. It is sexy. It is a Bitcoin hardware wallet that just simply works. Okay. You can set one of the things up in five minutes. It's actually very easy, very beginner friendly. So I highly recommend you guys go and grab one. Honestly, if you don't have your coins off an exchange, go and do that pronto. Okay. The world is melting down and having Bitcoins on an exchange is dangerous in my opinion. Um, if you want a Bitbox O2, you can go to shiftcrypto.io. And if you use a promo code Bitcoin made simple at the checkout, you'll get 5% off your Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Uh, that's Bitcoin made simple, no spaces, all capital letters, go and grab one. And now let's hear from another show sponsor who I had the pleasure of meeting. Uh, so that was obviously Justin and John, and they are from Coinbase. Do you need Bitcoin support? Well, you can book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on Coinbase Connect. You can ask questions about mining, self-custody, multi-sig, how to run a full node and how to set up the Lightning Network and how to accept Bitcoin payments. Simply go to coinbase.com select a pro and find a time when you're available. It's that simple. Learning about Bitcoin has never been easier. You sound fine. Do I sound fine? Yeah, you're all good. Um, okay. Let's jump into it, brother. Um, I actually don't even know your rabbit hole story, so I suppose that would be a good place to start. Maybe you can kind of give us 
your background feel, what you were doing before Bitcoin, and then how that kind of uh, led you into Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So my my rabbit hole story, or the way I think, the, the way I think is, the reason why I think the way I think is really, short answer is podcasts, <laughs> specifically libertarianism. I was raised conservative, taxes are bad, and just all that stuff, but socially liberal because I like rock and roll, play guitar, long hair, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, I, I just, my values are kind of based in common sense, which I would assume and hope that's the same common sense that the majority of people share. So that's kind of where I came from. And when I was in college, I didn't feel like I was learning exactly like the keys of the world and like, how shit works and this and that. And so I started to branch out a little bit and get kind of both sides of the political spectrum and started listening to NPR and leftist stuff and everything to the, like the very right of that, like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. And and that's, that's kind of like where my media audio consumption started. And and then I eventually found podcasts specific shows like like buck sexton like still kind of like right conservative ish stuff and then a lot of with crowder and i saw the light or found the light rather when i came across dave smith who does the part of the problem podcast and he was a libertarian is a libertarian one of the most influential libertarians i think of our generation just because he lays it out in very layman's terms what the fuck's going on and why the state hates you and all this great stuff. And from him, I went down the Murray Rothbard rabbit hole and found Scott Horton. And that's where my whole foreign policy slash geopolitics stuff kind of came in. More more so geopolitics recently and combining that with macroeconomics thanks to Tom Luongo, who's just fucking awesome. Like, I... <laughs> not to show Tom Luongo, but to show Tom Luongo, I'm like the top tier patron on his Patreon, and I'm in the Slack, and I'm just having all this great information from all these other great brains who have just market experience and have been hedge fund hedge fund managers, and it's it's just great. Um, so that's kind of the way I think, and of course, my Bitcoin story it was your main question. <laughs> I had to really preface this a little bit was a mix of Austrian economics and libertarianism and stuff through podcasts. I found Guy Swans at the time, the Crypto Economy podcast, but is now Bitcoin Audible for the past couple of years now. And I heard him on FAGCast, or Friends Against Government, which they renamed for obvious reasons. But it was just great because I, I at first bought into the narrative that the Bitcoin cash was better than Bitcoin because the libertarian lean on it. Like, I have a podcast, A Boy Named Sue, Sue's about PSEU, and when I was taking a break from, like, foreign policy kind of stuff, I started questioning questioning crypto. Like, what does this shit mean? Why is it important? And, well, obviously, it was just like, oh, cool, I can have this money that the government can't, like, tax and whatever and stuff. Like, can't take away from me. And I started having Sally Agarist on, Sally Mayweather, who is a fun Twitter follow, great memes and everything. And he had, like, the Bcash lean. But, I mean, he holds Bitcoin. If you're not a fucking moron, you're going to hold your life savings in Bitcoin. So I had him on a couple times. I had Vin Armani on a couple times. But it wasn't until I got over the Bitcoin Maximus stigma because from the perspective I heard 
from the B-cashers, it's like, oh, well, Bitcoiners were kind of like communists and they wouldn't let people have free markets of money within Bitcoin. And so the B-cashers, or they wouldn't call themselves B-cashers, but the B-cashers acted like the American revolutionists and said, fuck you, communist Bitcoin maximalists. And so I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And um, going back to the Friends Against Government podcast, which is now Timeline Earth, I heard Guy Swan on there because, I mean, I liked the Friends Against Government because they were just hilarious and talking about just the same issues, but in a very fun, entertaining way, which is what made me fall in love with Dave Smith's show. But Guy Swan was on there and him within his sincere Southern draw and just speaking truth because that's really what... I believe Austrian economics is, is is truth and it's just rationality of like why prices do what they do and why increasing the money supply is just going to deteriorate society. So I'm like, okay, this guy, guy makes total sense. So I'm going to give his podcast a listen. And lo and behold, would you know it, the first episode of his and the newest one of, the, of that time was him reading an article from Sally Mayweather. And I had recently, like the week before, had Sal on my podcast talking about the exact same article that he wrote. And the article was called The Economics of Bitcoin Maximalism, where he basically says that Bcash is better than Bitcoin Core because it is more saleable of money because of like just ease of transportation, whatever. He just completely bastardized whatever Carl Mangle, Mangle? Carl Manger try to argue because you know Carl Menger being the the founder of Austrian economics and it was just like wow and just I can't remember exactly what guy said to be honest but just the, his delivery towards the end of his guy's take and plus when guy read like you know reading South's article I was on a boy named Sue podcast of that immediately like got my attention so it was just so funny like in the serendipitous thing of it's just a domino effect where I'm I'm consuming this content here and there and it it all just like was presented to me not on a silver platter, but it was just kind of meant to be. And then the real eureka moment for me and Bitcoin, or Bitcoin and I, uh, you know, probably my second love, first love being guitar, but my second love being Bitcoin, is that when you have to use it, right? Like the customer journey, the customer experience, the like, oh my god. And that's when I was, I I was trying to buy my first bit of Bitcoin. No, no, no. I was forced to buy Bitcoin because I was trying to buy a VPN because I I was under the influence that I needed to buy a bunch of shit coins to kind of give myself a little like IMF like SDR fund when the fiat apocalypse happens. So I have all these cryptos diversified to hedge myself because there's another like libertarian-esque guy named Donnie Gebber that has been on podcasts, uh, most notably Free Man Beyond the Wall, which is now just Pete Kinyo and his podcast now. Um, I've realized I'm shilling all these other podcasters, but hey, uh, the more open source free knowledge, the better. But anyway, that I got his idea of like, oh, I need to get some like sis and basic attention token and all this bullshit. Thankfully, I didn't do that because I wasn't able to, well, um, why didn't I do that? I don't know. I just was lazy, but I did manage to buy VPN, which I just bought like whatever hundred, couple hundred bucks on Cash App, and I use it to buy a NordVPN because once you know it, my credit card and debit card wouldn't work on that website because my bank essentially said uh, this is this is a no no item. Like 
sorry, I'm trying to preserve my own like privacy and self-sovereignty. And I don't want the Wi-Fi that I think is the Starbucks Wi-Fi to actually be some like super dark, shadowy hacker coder person. So it, it was just, I mean, I was on the phone for, I was on hold for 20 minutes with the chick at my credit union. And she's like, she comes back 20 minutes later. And she's like, Oh, you need to call your branch. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you mean this isn't my money in my account that I have complete autonomy over. And so once you really realize something like that, I mean, Alex Fesky says it best. Like people come to Bitcoin through curiosity or pain. And thankfully I didn't burn myself on shit coins, but that was just a great use case of it in, in on its own especially after we see shit going down with the truckers in Canada. Uh, Bitcoin's fuck you money, and it's a hell of a drug. So that, in a nutshell, has been my, yeah, my journey. Couldn't agree more, dude. We, we, could, uh, we could end the podcast before we even started it on that note. Bitcoin is fuck you money. That's, yeah. That pretty much sums it up. I love it. Um, so much to unpack there, dude. Um, I think um, we're obviously going to get into Tom Luongo and a lot of his stuff. Uh, in this podcast because we're going to be talking about nation state game theory macroeconomics and i couldn't agree more with your take there on luongo he's one of the rare kind of macro guys that i would actually pay money to go and check out his content him lynn alden and probably luke groman they're probably some of the best minds in the macro space so if anyone listening hasn't seen tom luongo's stuff go and check it out um just quickly how long have you had your podcast for oh it's been I think like 2018 oh, and it's shit. just been kind of like a slow grind because I guess me like learning what I am and believe because that's always evolving and I've been kind of like slacking on it lately just because busy with work and stuff and I also am trying to take like a more long time preference approach to it because I don't want to like force an episode every week where I'm not sincerely curious about the person I'm interviewing and have questions and to the point where I could, like, write an article all about that on its own. Like, for example, I sat down, shit you not, five and a half straight hours with Joaquin Flores. If anyone doesn't know who Joaquin Flores is, go look him up. Uh, he is a writer at the Strategic Culture Foundation. And we he's one of another, like, geopolitic guru of himself just go watch his interviews and join his telegram group because if you want to know what the fuck is actually happening in ukraine and not the bullshit lies and propaganda that you're being fed on the mainstream media and twitter and some fellow bitcoiners in twitter um that was kind of a a disappointment because unless if you're financially compromised to push some narrative you shouldn't be able to do the homework if you were able to do the homework on what the fuck Bitcoin is, putting your thousand hours with that, you can learn about the history of Ukraine on your, your fucking own. So I'm just a little bit disappointed in the ignorance or the blissful intentional ignorance or just the insincerity of what the fuck is actually going on and how the world isn't in a vacuum and how it's not black and white and how America is pretty much responsible for every foreign policy fuck up really since the 20th century. So uh, with that said, and before that, but um, sorry, rant over. You, take it away, Luke. Sorry to shit on your podcast. <laughs> hey, keep the rants coming. It's what a podcast for, my good friend. 
Um, but I, I suppose on the – you should definitely um, put a link to that podcast you did. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, let me get back to the point on that. So I talked to Joaquin for like five, five and a half hours on all that. I don't know how I'm going to release it. I might like copy the Breed Love thing and like make five separate episodes. And I'm also it was, I'm going to put the video on – I'm going to try Odyssey and Rumble because fuck YouTube and the ass with a cactus. And uh, maybe BitChute too. But, you know, if you're in Bitcoin, obviously you, you don't like censorship. It's not a very nice thing. And these are just like nice – new green patchy uh faunas of of just dumping your your content and trying to reach a wider audience so uh yeah couldn't agree more fuck youtube um and i'm really looking forward to um seeing that podcast out because the whole russia ukraine thing is just kind of just one of the really large events that's going on around the world and this will kind of transition us into talking about nation states and the geopolitics that's going on at the moment because uh, maybe we can get into your article where you describe how the US dollar raising interest rates is weaponizing uh, itself and it's actually a good thing for Bitcoin. So maybe you could give us maybe like a two-minute high-level overview summary, summary of the article you wrote in Bitcoin Magazine kind of talking about this idea. Oh, boy, I certainly will try. And I'm looking back in my... Uh tweets earlier today uh fucking fucking i i basically did a, a thread of of different articles and talking points for today and in that is is going to be my i'm just going to go to my timeline uh i'm, I'm going to stall the show um but a lot of useful articles that i think people will get some value out of uh, or just a, a thread of what is going to be discussed for today. Okay, it's in the nest now. So, yeah, like a high-level overview, essentially. It, so if you click on the 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 twat in the nest, it's a retweet, and I'm just going to put that. So scroll, uh, uh, swipe right in the nest, and that's where my article is. You can find it there. Oh, shit, did I do it wrong? I might have done it wrong. No, oh, I no, I did it wrong. It's all good. Okay, we're doing it live, folks. So essentially, I'm going to put my article in the nest. And what it is, a high-level overview, is that you got two basic things going on. If we can just, you know, you know, ELI-5. you It's a battle of central banks, or really American globalists versus European globalists. And Tom Longo... He actually coined the term Davos because this is where the World Economic Forum like meets in with Switzerland, where, where the fuck it is. I should probably know this off the top of my head, but whatever, go fuck yourself. But yeah, they meet in Davos, and it's essentially the way you can characterize Davos. It's just old European oligarchs, old money, whether it be Rothschilds or whatever fucking other royal family, cults, you know, whatever it might be. Just people that were once the British Empire and just wants this European globalist thing. I mean, just just picture Klaus Schwab, like that's that is Davos, and them reaching their agenda of like the global one billion and just getting people off the the planet. And you have them trying to undermine the the power of America and the American dollar and dollar hegemony. Now, the words I'm going to say are going to sound like I'm humping the leg of the Fed, 
which is ironic because I wrote a song called End the Fed. But ultimately, it's it's really the um, it's the, the, the cleanest shirt in the dirty laundry, I guess, if that's an expression. And it's going to ultimately better not only for, for Bitcoin, but society as a whole. Actually, saying that is better for Bitcoin is relevant because Bitcoin is going to move either way. But what you have is you have Davos, the ECB, the IMF, the BIS, all this, just Davos trying to undermine American dark hegemony and U.S. globalism. So you can categorize the people here as Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, and the United States banking cartel. You know, like what's the most powerful like bank in the United States? It's the New York Fed. And who's the shareholder of the New York Fed? It's the J.P. Morgan's, Goldman Sachs. And what you are defining is this money transmission thing, which is like how money's created because factual reserve banking and credit and all that. And this is the essence, the infrastructure of dollar hegemony that no other nation has. And I mean, it's, it's nice enough that, you know, the Fed allows like euro dollars to actually be a thing overseas. And what Powell is doing is fighting against Davos because Davos wants to use stimulus such as the the CARES Act and just all of this COVID spending that we've seen and the Great Reset, that's going to take money out of nothing. And they essentially want to destroy America from the inside out and the outside in by destroying its creditworthiness, printing money into oblivion, and also just pass all this crazy leftist bullshit, such as, you know, like trans rights and furries rights and uh, taking away your gun rights and just, you know, not American, not the principles that this country was founded on. And Jerome Powell's fighting back with monetary tools that he has at his disposal. And so, you know, if you're in Bitcoin, you know, you've heard of money printing. It's not actually money printing. But when there's economic crisis, the Fed, the Fed's main tool is like the lower interest rates. No, namely the Fed funds, right? So lowering it to putting more liquidity into the system and then uh, raising it or tightening to do the opposite. And it's just this, uh, the fables of, of financial uh, Keynesianism and just central planning teeter-tottering to just try to make happy and you know work on employment numbers. So yeah, that's nice and all. But what happens when you print too much and... Well, we fucking know what happens. It causes hyperinflation. You know, more money does not create more goods and services into the economy. And that's why you get shit that you're seeing today. You know, all the logistics things with, you know, shipping containers and what all. That aside, what you have is inflation or hyperinflation. And what Powell essentially is has been doing since June of last year is him raising interest rates, not Fed funds rates, rates of IOER, which is interest on excess reserve, and the reverse repo rate. And essentially when he does this, it draws out dollar liquidity in the world and it strengthens the dollar. And what he is essentially trying to do is strengthen the dollar as Davos is trying to weaken it by forcing just forcing America to 
you know, spend money he doesn't have and ruin his cre- creditworthiness. And we're kind of already seeing this happen and play out. Because last week, Saudi Arabia just said, fuck you, dude, when Biden tries to call him up. And is that the sound of the destruction of the petrodollar? Because if if not, it, it certainly fucking sounds like it. And so this is what Powell's doing. Because like it or not, no matter how many nations might sell off their U.S. treasuries, their debt's still denominated in dollars. No, that's going to change. And even Powell came out, I think, last week or the week before that, you know, we don't we're okay with having, we're not having complete dollar hegemony. We can have multiple functioning currencies. And a Federal Reserve chairman can say a lot of things. And, you know, sincere or not, I mean, he's still a politician in a way, right? So maybe he's just saying that to ease or quell people's fears and just keep everything hunky-dory and we don't have the fucking, like, lingering depression that we've, been expecting and will you know very well see that sooner than later but i think he he means well because again powell is not davos there is a strict bifurcation of like within the monetary like i guess supremacy in the united states and you it's this again goes back to european globalist versus u.s based globalist but at like this level it's kind of like wall street versus davos and again, Wall Street shareholders of like the the Federal Reserve banks and commercial banks and all this, they want to maintain their power. And and Davos has been passing policies that undercut that power. One example is that they enabled other institutions that weren't financial institutions uh, after COVID to get this easy money access, like to the Fed window. That is only an exclusive privilege to the to the banks, like the American banks. And so it's basically allowing like more money printing from all these entities that outrightly didn't have that privilege before. And that was like a Davos-backed policy. And that's when you, you know, stage right, enter BlackRock. BlackRock is now acting like a fucking central bank. And when you look into The Great Reset, like the actual fucking book that Klaus Schwab wrote, they talk about nation states being you know upended by corporations corporations become the nation state and that does not go against uh, that i mean no that goes uh well against the status quo of what Jerome Powell and these other private equity kind of people want is because they maintain their hegemony and power by just keeping the banks as as they want because ultimately Davos wants to pass a central bank digital currency, like top down, I believe. And like I've gotten in little arguments and scuffles with Bitcoiners about, oh well, it might not be issued so like top down from the central bank. It's probably going to be through commercial banks, and the the Fed can't do all that on their own. Like of course, of of course they can't. Um, but essentially, I don't think CBDCs are the solution that uh, Jerome Powell and Wall Street really want. They they because if you have a CBDC in that way, it undercuts the the power of the banks and it renders them uh, useless. So I don't know how that's really going to work out because we know that stable coins are being okayed for banks to hold. So they're coming up with some kind of scheme. Maybe it's a, a more efficient way to do things. I I don't know what it's going to look like. But essentially, it's it's Davos trying to destroy the the central bank banking cartel. Of, of the Fed and Powell doing these monetary, uh, you know, tap dances 
to to counter that. And he has done that. And if you look in the nest, you click on the first thing I shared, and you scroll down a little bit, you will see a Zero Hedge article that came out yesterday, actually. And it was entitled, if I can fucking find it, it wasn't an article, it was just a headline. But yesterday, 84 counterparties take $1.715 trillion at Fed reverse repo. So what that means, oh, and there was a, uh, you know, bit jump in one day. Maybe they meant BIP, or maybe I don't understand that. But so when Powell did what he did in June, he raised the repo rate or reverse repo rate to uh, basically uh, five basis points. And essentially what happens, so I guess I need to get into what a repo and uh, reverse repo is. So basically repo contract, as some of y'all will probably be familiar with uh, in 2019, is like just overnight lending. I, I, I like to call it high time preference QE, if you like. But basically it's so the bank's, borrow money from the Fed to make good on their promises and other banks because the banks are the ones that are lending to each other. And when they go tits up like Lehman overnight, they're going to crash. But thankfully, they're holding treasuries, you know, like their reserves or whatever, uh, treasuries that is pristine collateral still in this world. And they park that at the Fed and the Fed gives them cash to just make good on their promises. So that is a repo. A reverse repo is obviously the exact fucking opposite. Okay, any excess cash a bank has, they park that at the Fed and get a treasury in return. They get collateral in return. And this is how you drain dollars out of the world economy and euro dollars because there are foreign repo facilities. And when Powell raised raised uh, reverse repo rates five basis points, it's essentially, hey, all this cash, all this money printing that we did. And Ben Bernanke did the same thing with interest on excess reserves which isn't as like, high time preference as the repo markets, but uh, Bernanke raised it 25 basis points. But what this does is it drains the world out of dollars and makes the dollar stronger because as we all know in Bitcoin, like scarcity is fucking important, right? And and it, it just is supply and demand. And so what, what this does is it makes debt more expensive for you know debtors, uh, obviously, but uh, what what it really does is it incentive. It's just an incentive mechanism because now you're earning twenty five or five basis points on extra cash that you had. It's just like fucking like BlockFi, right? Like any fucking fiat, uh, any fiat bills you have, you just send it to this account, and uh, you know it's your money working for you. Uh, so you know a shit ton of money was moved over the summer, but just yesterday. Again, as I read in that little headline, it was one point seven one five trillion and that's shit shit of money, you know, it's not as much as it's like a seventh of what was spent on the war in Afghanistan over twenty years, but still in like one day that's a lot, right? Uh-huh. And and power raised it I, I guess uh, you know, point three percent. So that's a shit ton, is it not? And so you just see these mechanisms and of course we can't forget the quarter of a percentage point or the, the 25 basis points in uh, the Fed funds rate. And this is Powell and Wall Street working together against the, the against Davos because there are like European Davos sleeper cells in the U.S. 
which I firmly believe that is what the current administration is. And if you look in that tweet thread, you'll see, and if you do a little uh, grunt work, uh, it's a perk of being in Tom's Slack. I have all these people sharing all these great little nuggets of information. But you'll see that uh, Citibank is Davos, but then you also have JP Morgan, just like non-Davos partisans. Um, and you're just basically seeing how using these these tools as as you know a central planner using the tools at, that he has at his disposal from the Fed to actually fight back against this and strengthen the dollar, and you know essentially this kind of gets down to you know where does Bitcoin fit in with all this? Ultimately, if if they want to, if America wants to preserve its creditworthiness, like yeah, they can strengthen the dollar by removing this liquidity but those dollars were still printed and what you have is still hyperinflation it's just latent so that money's going to go somewhere and if if people in fucking Washington or at the Fed don't have their heads up their ass they've been paying attention to bitcoin and I guess we can get into Russia a little bit. Russia sit or Russia sitting on like the majority of the world's oil, and they have the marginal like cost to to drill oil, and so they have all this energy, and you know they'd be stupid to not mine Bitcoin, and so you have this beginning of like the hash war. Do you not? If if Russia is the cheapest place to mine Bitcoin, that should wake people the fuck up at the Fed or Washington. And so they should get on that ball. And instead of just having latent inflation, why not just have all that money going to Bitcoin? I know that's like a pipe dream. But ultimately, I think that's like at the end of the day where, where you know, the decision they, they have to make down at the crossroads, for lack of better words. Dude. That was a uh, that was an epic rap. Um, you just you just spitting fire there for a little while. Um, and for the first time, when somebody hears the whole Davos thesis, maybe it could be a little bit lost on them. So I thought maybe just to give them a couple of more points um, to kind of back everything up, because a lot of people hear it at first and they're like, "That sounds crazy," but it makes kind of more sense, and it kind of helped me understand everything because I was I was uh, kind of perplexed with the whole. Um, coordinated responses in terms of we'll just call it COVID for the for the YouTube um, amongst central banks all around the world. But when you look into the whole Davos connections, everything makes a lot more sense. And then when you look into the United States trying to protect its global reserve currency status, that's where it gets more interesting because it was June sixteenth. That was when you were talking about yeah. when Jerome Powell raised those rates on the reverse repo window it's also interesting to add in there um that it wasn't he raised this was it the same day or the day after jerome powell had a massive fight with christine lagarde at one of those <laughs> international battles thanks that's what the fuck it is <laughs> yeah yeah it's a, it's a battle it's a weaponization and so the whole thesis that phil's putting forward and the one that tom Luongo talks about a lot was the u.s broke ranks in june 2021 they said, fuck you to the Great Reset. We're going to actually go our separate way and we're going to actually try and protect the US dollar and our global reserve currency status. We're not going to go along with this Great Reset. Um, and that's when they kind of raised rates um, in June 2021. 
Um, so I think I think that was just a point to put in there, and they're trying to defend the petrodollar system. So yeah. I think that's very very interesting. Or if um, the petrodollar system fails, then maybe it just becomes like the Bitcoin dollar. I'm just talking out of my ass now, but I think it's also interesting. Like, when is Pal lying, and when is he not? Because when he says it's okay if we're not the the world reserve currency, like, what does that mean? I mean, it's just really interesting to to think about. Like, of course, the Great Reset is not in his favor, but it's also not in Putin's favor either. And I think that's basically he was pushed in a corner to do what he had to do as far as Ukraine goes, because Ukraine is basically a sandbox of totalitarian, technocratic, pedophile, like playground to experiment with uh, CBDCs and just just think of like the, the Panopticon. That's what it's been. It's also been a... Uh, a, a bed of just experimentation with biolabs like that is a for sure thing and then you've also got nato expansion which is just you know i'm gonna put this little nuke here we're just testing missiles and they're just like mid-range whatever the fuck it might be you're poking the bear and you know the war over there is basically ended and the only reason that they are continuing that war it's just for like one PR campaign and to make it look like they know what they're doing over there. Uh, but also, I think it's kind of like a waning di- distraction away from the military industrial complex kind of deals that are probably going on. I should have looked more into that, but it's also a distraction from what's probably going to be happening in um, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. I'm, pronou- I'm mispronouncing that, but apparently, there's uh, that territory wants to go into NATO, but there is a adjacent territory, I think that's still like within Bosnia, that is a uh, basically Russian, uh, uh, not ally, just, what what did the US, whatever, it's just called like Russian asset. And it's just like they're trying to find ways to get Russia into like starting a nuclear war somehow. Because this is kind of like the Great Reset's agenda is to siphon off all the the energy to the plebs in Europe and, like, starve them out. And it, because they know their, like, green energy solutions are retarded. They retard the progress of, like, energy per capita. And Europe is just kind of a shit show. And ultimately what Davos is trying to do is freeze any capital flight into the U.S. or even Russia at this point. Because Russia could very well force the world on a gold standard or at the very least a ruble standard in the greater Eurasian area. Like the ruble could very well be a, the, the, I guess, regional reserve currency in Asia and Europe because they sit on the world's majority of oil and people want their oil. I mean, all the oil that we have, we export the majority of it because we can't refine it. But, you know, Russia has those capabilities. And so, this is kind of like, I guess, where the game theory comes in. But, um, you know, what does is Pal kind of like folding here to some extent? Because what, what what's bad for Europe being starved out and destroyed by Davos is also bad for America, right? Because, again, it's like central banks for central banks and trying to destroy the credibility that the dollar has. And, of course preventing Davos from doing that in Europe 
is in a way meaning that Putin has to, I guess, maybe make the ruble or gold. That'd be awesome. A new reserve currency. And so you it's kind of like pals folding and, and admitting that there needs to be like a global like bifurcation of reserve assets. So it's, there's so many pieces going on, but it's really interesting to think about and what is actually going on in these people's heads. It is certainly all going on at the moment. Um, I wanted to ask you, say, if Russia and China are doing uh, trade... Sound like a robot. Better now? I think so. So if, if Russia and China are doing trade, a lot of people would say, but what about China... They're further ahead in terms of their digital yuan, and they've got more gold than Russia. Why wouldn't they be the kind of reserve currency for the East? Um, But I think would you would you say Russia's kind of the more dominant potential reserve for the East um, because they have no debt, they're set up better economically than China is. Yeah, they they have like stockpiles of assets and of. not nutrients. Oh my gosh, what am I, what am I trying to think of? What's the word? Um, Natural uh, resources. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Natural resources. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, they have natural resources. They have they have a flat tax. Uh, they have a positive balance sheet, and ultimately, I think China. Like, I should do more looking into China, but just from what I have heard. I just don't have any great vibes about them. They, I do believe that they're kind of like the paper tiger and they're having to export all of their inflation by acting as a quasi IMF because they don't enforce as much like uh, austerity or if any on other, on these other like island nations or Africa. I mean, the kingdom of, of Tonga, like Lord Fusatia is in here and he's basically saying like, yeah, like China's acting like a IMF b- because they do need to export their inflation. And you've got like the Chinese contagion as well, and just ghost cities. They're economically not stable, and so sure, Russia is partnering with them, but they need somebody to help create like their payments infrastructure. And sure, there might be opportunities for like a panopticonish kind of thing there, but I don't think Putin wants that. And Tom says. Tom says it perfectly when he says the way Putin is ruling Russia is basically like if Pat Buchanan won the presidency whenever he ran. He's a nationalist. And that's not like some alt-right, like crazy Nazi nationalist kind of thing. If you think that, go fuck yourself and like just listen to some episodes or something and read a book. Uh, Putin is being forced into a corner and he cares about Russia because he brought it out of the fucking Soviet Union. And it only makes sense to, I mean, he, he was kicked out of the World Economic Forum, like, after he invaded. And it's not some, like, 5D chess thing where he's actually buddies with Klaus Schwab. Like, no, he's a nationalist. He's doing what is right for Russia. And he's just making, has made economically rational decisions. Like, he, he let the, the ruble float and kind of went through a slow, painful grind in 2014. But it's almost like he's taking these Austrian economic approaches, letting markets do their thing. Now, I don't know how controlled their economy is. It probably is to some extent. But at the same time, it's it's much more like free market capitalist than the U.S. My my roommate, he went to Russia with his fiance, and he 
basically have spent $600 for both his medical and dental and his fiance's medical and dental. And it's just like, wow. Uh, so just the, the economic health of Russia, I think it would be counterproductive for them to like be embedded in the same kind of capital controls that China has. So it's like that's a worry that people have, like this commingling between China and Russia. I personally, and, and then this, like this is just me, like talking from my brain. I personally don't think that's a worry. And China thinks things out in a very long term, low time preference. You know, the game of Go time frame, right? Because they think of centuries in centuries, whereas like Americans think of like quarterly fucking goals. And so, I think that is. Putin working with China is just kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. China sanctioned, Iran sanctioned, all these fucking countries have just been dicked down by the U.S. and well, I think and mainly Davos. And essentially, they are just kind of China's going along to get along to what they think is best for them, and so it only makes sense for them economically and I guess politically to partner with Russia. I hope that answers your question, Luke. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know how to look at the whole China-Russia thing. I think them teaming up is potentially very, very interesting. I mean, yeah, they didn't manage. have a choice. What's that? If you think about it, like, like they didn't really have a choice. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think Ch- China's going to kind of keep Russia alive because they have so much energy and resources does this mean europe wait, wait. china's gonna keep russia alive or russia's gonna keep china alive what's well, vice versa because they both kind of have deficiencies that the other can help them with so like china has an energy crisis at the moment that depleted all of their water uh, resources um, they're heavily dependent upon coal um, they don't have as much oil um, as as russia but Russia has a shit ton of um, oil. So naturally, uh, Russia can export its oil to China, but then China can also help Russia out by buying its oil and buying its wheat and actually helping it out economically from that standpoint. So I think that's that's interesting. And just the fact they both have so much gold kind of makes it more and more interesting. Um, I've, I've, I'm on record as saying gold's going to zero, and I really do think it is. Yeah, um, in like a century. Yeah, I'm probably more. Maybe yeah, like the, eight, I don't know, but it's definitely gonna be around. Like I, like I had fun saying gold's a shit coin. Like it's fun to say, but gold's fucking cool. And it, it like there's a reason it's been the world's money for five thousand ten whatever however fucking long years, and like it's it's here to stay. I mean it. Like, yeah, it's going to become an industrialized metal. But, I mean, for now, this is kind of like, because of his Lindy, this is what nation states believe in. And at the same time, like, they have more, like, more control over that than Bitcoin. But, like, don't get me wrong. I think all these nation states are mining Bitcoin in one way or another. Do you think that's happening now? Does a bear shit in the woods? oil flight i'm gonna put myself on the record and i'm gonna say i think they are i think russia definitely is mining bitcoin um well i I mean isn't it obvious that china is because of the whole like ban it not ban it and like the the price manipulation and you know maybe they 
like under the table, like nationalize some of their miners, and and it, it's it's silly not to. I mean, they're smart. I mean, it's China that we're dealing with, like you know, leading tech hub, industrial, like they're 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 hardware geniuses. I mean, that's why we export all of our fucking shit like that to them. So they have to understand miners. I mean, like that's where fucking like Bitmain came out of. Uh, if they're not mining Bitcoin, like in China at least, then they're doing it elsewhere. Because I mean, you you got to wonder what's going on with that Belt and Road Initiative, right? So I don't know. I'm just making generalizations and pulling stuff out of my ass, but they can't not be mining Bitcoin, and nor can Russia. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, I, I don't know how to look at China. I, I think, I think Russia's definitely mining Bitcoin. Uh, China, I'm not so sure on. Like China shot themselves on the foot um, a century ago with them not transitioning onto a gold standard. I think they refused to transition onto a gold standard when the rest of the world was using gold as pretty much the global reserve currency. China held firm, and when they used in silver for like nearly a century and they lost something like 80 to 90 percent of their purchasing power over that century so i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if they're doing that again with bitcoin they're shooting themselves in the foot and essentially choosing the weaker softer money so i'm not sure i'm not sure if china's still mining bitcoin it's really interesting i know that there's still a shit ton of mining rigs um on in china um, Lono is actually in the crowd. Maybe we can bring him up and see see what he knows about the yeah, China. Yeah, because he keeps DMing me, and I'm just trying to go with with, with the flow in the show. So let's, uh, let's Phil, and I, Phil and I have been talking for nearly an hour, so I was going to bring up guests towards the end anyway. So if anyone has any questions, request guys. You can um, pop up, and we can open up the floor. Um, Lono. Phil, more about, yes, there's mining going on in China. It is, 100%. It, not all of it left. About 20% of it stayed. They did rolling blackouts after. We weren't sure if they were popping VPNs or ghost mines. But if anyone thinks the mining is done in China, they don't understand China. And someone who you should talk to on this, Hash Override, he grew up in Hong Kong. Even though he's American, you see him in like all the uh, bit farm stuff now in the hydro. He ran like four major farm type things over there. He knows China mining like the back of his hand. And he's explaining it to me how all the different provinces work there, how business works there. They are so much like United States, the provinces in China. Uh, you can have mining like a death sentence in one area of China and it's totally okay in another. That was the state before the crackdown. And with the crackdown, yes, I believe that all non-completely trusted and controlled miners left China, but in no way did that get rid of this very powerful tool that when it's in the hands of people they trust, they don't fear the capital flight because they always control those people, kind of like Putin and his oligarchs or whatever, just the Chinese version of that. Then you can let those people work with that on your energy because they do have a lot of weird energy problems that this does assist with. There's some other stuff that's going on. So it's not out of that. But it's very it's in a free in. sense, right? Wait, wait, like their energy problems is, I think, is what had them like marry Russia with the whole energy thing. Oh, yeah. They shoot like when they can't do stuff, they were just shooting raw energy into the ground. Now, I guess we have the hydrogen collider in Europe, and that's just another story completely. But yeah, um, 
you know, Bitcoin mining was satisfying more than just money in some areas and stuff like that. It was actually probably a much better thing to do than just unleash your energy when you couldn't use it. Uh, hey, Lono. So, like, the key question, though, is is the CCP mining? Or are some of these, and I think you kind of hinted it, it's something you said, but are some of these Chinese miners not nationalized, but, you know, state-run? Control. Oh, yeah. It, everybody left there state controlled and completely trusted and been told you are allowed to do this under whatever, you know, geese. You guys remember when they coughed up that guy that had 40 billion in gold? That was an internal dispute. It's not like they just found a guy with 40 billion in gold, you know, beneath his thing hiding from the Chinese government. That was a pawn that needed to be taken out in a great game of chess over there amongst themselves. So, you know, as much as we look at from our side, oh, China, what's going on? Like within that country, holy hell, what's going on, too? It's, it's always on the thread of going through some weird social revolution. It's always on the edge of some merry major issues or another complete crackdown. It's so much on the edge of that. What, what do you know that's happening right now? And do you know of any of that in relation to Russia? No, um, with Russia, I'm not so sure. Like when I look at China, I'm just mostly focused more on the Uyghurs. I get distracted with that because everybody gets distracted from the important things, I think, as all these new things happen. Like, to me, what's going on, like, I don't know how old you are might affect this. Because when I was growing up, they were killing all their female babies. Or, you know, it was, it was disturbing for about a decade. That created, like, I think it was a near 10 to 1 offset of male to female. Now, I think that's right, true, that right? Like, one statement about China, and I, I knew this when I was, like, a teenager, basically. It's, like, maybe 15 years ago. It was really set in my mind. But China is the only nation in the world that can say we would be better off without a hundred million men. There's not one nation on this planet that can say that other than China. And when you have that many men, it either leads to war, gang problems, or they need to do economic expansion, colonialism style, which is what they have chosen to do. But you can you imagine being a man or someone like that, that you're just never going to have a wife, if you're a lower class, you don't have your math, you know, and they're like, there's just no life for you. There's no hope. There's no, you know, family. That's all taken away from you as a kid. And you know it as a teenager, you know it. It's never going to happen. That's devastating. And that's like in the middle of this, like these people are in their mid twenties now to mid thirties. And it's, it's a huge, huge issue that we don't talk about again. So when I look at what could help with Russia, Great. China's going to play its game. And I think people think we're too secure. We are very cocky and we are going to get kicked in the nuts a bunch during this process. And if we think we can bully China into not helping Russia or this, they'll just do it underhand. And I grew up and everyone told me the BRIC nations were going to do great. Now that the BRIC nations are coming into their own. It's like, what? This is what you guys told us would happen for like 30 years. This isn't something new. None of this is a surprise. But the real surprise is, I believe we gave the green light to do all of this with our reaction to COVID and the corruption that happened over here. And it's disgusting corruption. If you look at what happens at the top of both the Canadian and the U.S. government, we have no high moral ground to talk to people anymore. And that's the problem. And when that happens, all the states, and this is the history of humankind, everybody starts to extend their power for their own. They start to either settle beefs or continue things or continue righteous ideologies. And it's going to spread around the world now that the big guys allowed it. Unless someone was willing to do something very crazy and say, nah, if you guys want to get into this, this is over next day. Well, we're going to go into something ugly and a reset because we're not even on the same page here. We get split more and more every day 
by just stupid things in the West that we actually can't, I think, counter these moves. We kind of have to let it happen, move back into geopolitics and circles, and sorry, Western Europe, and sorry, the area around China. And the people that I'm more worried about is Japan and China's eternal hate from them from World War II that they teach every year. They go show you, you know, they show their kids the square where Japanese soldiers cut off like 100,000 people's heads or something like that. It's And men and the women and children too, right? It, it was brutal. So if those old flares start to come out, that's what I'm worried about. I'm not as worried, you know, Russia and Ukraine will be whatever. And if the U.S. wanted to put someone that was playing around in Soviet states as their leader uh, and be dumb about it, that's up to them. I can't do anything about that. I've got my own loser at the top of my country selling us out to the World Economic Forum that i got to worry about. But yeah, so China and all of that, they get to play a safer game. But again, they've got a lot of social unheaval and uprest. They're using technology and technocrat stuff to really get in on it. And, you know, it's not even about facial recognition. It's about gait. Like the way you walk, they can tell who you are with cameras now. If you go look into gait analysis, would be something all Bitcoiners should look into. By the way, throw a pebble in your shoe. All right. But, uh, you know, so I think we've given them breathing room, actually, right now. I don't think, like, they're always, don't have a lot. I think we've given them some extra breathing room, even with all their social issues. But the thing we could push down on them is we could push down more on the Uyghurs again and bring them back to that conversation so they have no moral high ground and they have to stay on the defensive on that one. That would be my strategy with China. I wouldn't be talking about Russia this. I'd be going right back to the Uyghurs and say, what the fuck? As we probably should. I mean, it's disgusting the amount of companies and countries that initially just, you know, went along with the whole Chinese Olympics and continue doing deals with China and they don't even mention Dalio. <laughs> Ray Dalio. Oh, Dalio. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. I would love to see some pushback about the whole Uyghur situation because it's not talked about in in well, you know, mainstream kind of circles. And I think I think the US is kind of this is kind of gets into another question I wanted to push your way there, Phil, was about the US and what they're gonna do. Um, because for me, I think I have a feeling that maybe the US is being pushed into, uh, they're having their backs pushed into a corner. And I really wouldn't be surprised to see them actually come out a lot sooner than a lot of people think and back the US dollar with Bitcoin. Um, and I noticed in, I think it was your article about Jerome Powell um, and the USD, you had a really good quote in there. I'm going to see if I can pull it up. But it was something along the lines of, the reallocation of capital could also demonetize U.S. treasuries and be redirected into Bitcoin as a new pristine form of collateral, creating a quasi-Bitcoin dollar hybrid standard. So maybe we could riff off that for a minute. What do you guys think about the whole U.S. potential uh-huh. Bitcoin dollar? Yeah, like, honestly, it feels a little pie in the sky, but I know it's inevitable. That's why I wrote that. And ultimately... It's a matter of time, and I think gold is actually going to be, again, like, thrust into the forefront, because, again, Russia has a lot of gold, they have a lot of oil, and they will probably, if not if not rubles, they'll demand, you know, oil for exchange for gold, and gold will, the price of gold will, you know, go up, oil goes down, um, 
So it, it's just you're not entirely sure like what's what's going to happen with this. Like I, I keep saying, like Bitcoin is going to be inevitable. I think it's a matter of like gutting out the powers that be that are like come midterms. And I haven't looked much into this, but I I know that the current administration, you know, and with this majority, has pissed a lot of people off. Like just looking at COVID. and just mass mandates or whatever the fuck it is just people not have like lost their livelihoods ever since and they want a a change and i th think just as bitch as it sounds and feels to say i think getting like the right people in will actually make some sort of difference and you have people like ted cruz and cynthia lummis and them talking and looking at bitcoin in a more serious way It, they can't go balls to the wall like backing treasuries or Bitcoin replacing treasuries is the nuclear option but as we see Davos is having to pull their nuclear options by doing what they're doing and so who 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 really knows I I don't really like I, I honestly don't know I'm just one person I would love For that to happen and the way that bitcoin grows and works is exponential so it's not going to happen overnight but you know i think the next 10 years at least is going to be very interesting to watch that's my non-answer answer but phil um these are layers and I, i go back to 1996 a lot and i like to talk about phil zimmerman and the encryption wars and what happened there and like literally in europe and germany they're reversing that right now they're demanding um backdoors and encryption and bitcoin cannot live in a world like that and they're literally setting down those laws as we speak as we're trying to fight for bitcoin they're actually do going into checkmate mode oh, on the oh, sub technologies yeah. so yeah, i yeah. believe so, so, that so, if it's a politician you don't want them preaching bitcoin you want them hard on the side of encryption is necessary for sanity in the future and for privacy in the digital self and to touch encryption without a court order should be akin to the public looking at you and say Why are you touching someone's digital privates? It should be that offensive that people should never touch it. It should be private yeah, but, but unless you have a order. The majority of them are already pedophiles. Like, let's be honest. I don't mind touching people's privates. Yeah, but, well, it seems like uh, we need like, to put the people joking, in power. Oh, that don't hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, all joking yeah. aside, all joking aside, I think the whole, like, encryption privacy thing is just a byproduct of realizing the importance of Bitcoin. And because Europe is... it's not being bitcoin friendly they actually hate that shit this this is again like european globalists versus u.s globalists and wall street and from what i've heard and seen wall street loves bitcoin and that might kind of go over some people's heads in here but that is the case and if it comes to preserving the dollar's relevance and strength then they will do exactly the opposite of what Davos is doing, which is they are not friends of Bitcoin at all. That makes sense. And, yeah. 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 I mean, it's in, it's in America's best interest to preserve itself with Bitcoin. And so maybe we do see something happen faster in, in 10 years, five years. Who the fuck knows? But it's a very rational, but it is nuclear. What's what's Canada like, Lenny? Mm. Western Canada's good. Eastern Canada lost their mind. And we've always been, you know, 
uh, Trudeau's have always hated us. Their dad put the national energy program in and we lost all our houses in the eighties. And now little twerp comes in, which is not even a shadow of his dad. Even if I didn't like his dad, at least he had class and a purpose. Uh, you get hedge fund baby in and he sells our country out to foreign interests. It's very clear him and Christy Freeland. He, he put in an entire team that is either delusional or completely bought in like a cult to what's going on in Davis, but they were raised under it. It's not like they're like they are Davos. They are the world economic forum, Trudeau, Christy Freeland, like people like they're working for them. I'm like, no, they are it. They represent it. Like they built it. They're the heart of it. People like that. That's what they did over the last 20 years or so. And then inserted it, or as he puts it, penetrated the governments of the world. Like, wow. You know, and, and, and I look at that and what I grew up under and my proud country and, what has happened under this disgusting leadership was only one. He only got into power. Harper would have won had he accepted marijuana. That's the funny thing about all of this. If you look at the Canadian election, how they were, we had a conservative government that was willing to sign in gay marriage, but medical like legalization of marijuana is where he drew the line. What an idiot. Harper put the gun in his house there, uh, head there and just gave the election to, to Trudeau. He bribed. He did it. He put that through. Then after that law was through, he went to work on destroying the West, the oil, uh, only pumping green energy in Davos's plans, only investments there, any pipeline, any anything was like fighting a nuclear war battle. And we've been going through that far before COVID, right? And COVID was just an, a chance for them to double down and strangle us. And that's why you got the trucker convoy from Alberta go all the way out and spend their time to go out to Ottawa, which is no slight journey. It's like a three-day drive out there to say, fuck you. And then they got comfortable and too organized and they lost their minds in our parliament. He hid for what you guys remember he hid for like two days while they're on their way. At least his dad would have like probably sent a, a, a delegation out to Winnipeg or something and say, Hey, what's up? At least we should chat before you get here. What do you want? You know, like you kind of know, but there would have been a process, a form, not this disgusting behavior that we've seen. And most Canadians, they're not like Americans. We voted all over the spectrum during our lives this might put a nail forever in that. And that's, I don't like that. I don't like what they've done at all. I feel very betrayed. And I feel that we don't have control of our country and our resources are being sold out from under us. Yeah, so, so it's China I worry about, but I'm more worried about my own government. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. Well, that's the whole, that's what a lot of people miss, Lono. Like, Justin Trudeau was actually, he was part of the whole World Economic Forum's program. Oh, Luke, you're a robot. Unfuck your audio. Hey, why don't, why don't you mod me so I can help bring up people who have questions? Okay. Am I, am I better now? Yeah, you go in and you're good at first, and then after, like, 20 seconds, you start to get, like, twangy. I'll, I'll laugh if you go twangy. Twangy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this is why I never do podcasts in spaces. It's just a little bit dodgy. Um, but what I was saying was Trudeau, he's... He's actually part of the World Economic Forum's program they had going on. Global yeah. leader. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And people don't get that. People think we're just a bunch of tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists ragging on about the World Economic Forum. No, no, no. He's literally the, the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, 
the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinta Ardern, that devilish horse-looking thing. They're all part of the World Economic Forum's programs, the young global leaders. And like Leno said, it's Klaus Schwab's, it's, it's Klaus Schwab's most proudest achievement instituting his young global leaders in into the cabinets of governments around the world so i think it's i think it's essential that the u.s kind of gives a big middle finger to the great reset crowd um and breaks up all this bullshit that's going on around the world i agree and it is uncanny that they are very out in the open with what they want to do and like the text in the great reset the book that klaus schwab wrote is I mean, it's it's not like doom and gloomy. They try to paint it in a very pleasant picture. They use their euphemisms and everything. But, you know, it's not that hard to read like between the lines or at least for any Bitcoiner, at least, or anyone that's quote-unquote like woke or red-pilled or whatever. But, it, yeah, it, I always hesitate. Like, oh, I don't want to say this because I'll sound like a conspiracy theorist, which, you know, conspiracy theorist is not like a slander. Uh, that's just a mechanism the the media used to just you know uh, well, just dis- disenfranchise people that think for themselves. But uh, again, this is what is happening. Like they do not give a shit about you. And like, I grew up in cadets. Over, it is over just overpower, and power makes you stupid. Like, and they're I... having to make the most stupid decision by going nuclear and doing what they're doing. And I grew up beside some of these people. Like, as a, when I was flying, I flew Trudeau before he was ever in politics and he was still his drama teacher stuff, chatted with him. I've, I've met these people. I've met Harper. I've flown their kids and chatted with them. And that's where you can get a lot of information. Like, how well-rounded are they? Are they playing, you know, do they have how hockey cards? Or are they weird? Like, you can start to tell a lot about these people in power. And what the one thing that really got me was, I am a true believer that if you have a top position in a country, that is your only duty or it's basically treason. Like if you are the president of the United States, your sole loyalty must be to the United States. Now, what truly is a conflict of interest in that is Christy Freeland, who sits on the board of the of the freaking World Economic Forum. She's on the board of trustees and she's our deputy prime minister. At the least, that's a conflict of interest, and everybody should be able to see that, not even criticizing the World Economic Forum of this. It's like, wait, 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 you shouldn't be allowed to sit on anything else if you're our deputy prime minister. Like, quit and go do that then, but what the hell? But yeah, go look at that, and then you start to see these people holding dual positions, and you're like, well, who's your loyalty to? We could go down the World Economic Forum rabbit hole for hours and hours and hours. It's certainly an interesting one. Uh, but Phil, we've been we've been going for a little over an hour now. A question I like to kind of round podcasts out um, with my guests is, uh, what does the world look like in ten years' time? So twenty thirty, what does the world look like with Bitcoin? Is Bitcoin still alive? Who's adopted Bitcoin? Uh, what's twenty thirty look like in your eyes? Oh, what's he doing? Is he making tea? In twenty thirty, if you guys uh, keep uh, at oh, it. Oh, sorry, was my mic off? Yep, you're uh, muted, bro. Yeah, yeah. 
by 2030, there's no great reset, hopefully. Like, that's their goal, right? And central planning always fails. And right now they're scrambling and they're worried and they're just having to do their nuclear option, which is insane. And so I think... I, I Look, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but, you know, if I, if I did, or I'm, I'm just going to bullshit my way out of this. Yeah, um, America is going to embrace Bitcoin, whether they like it or not, in the next five years. And people are, are going to get onboarded and will have a beautiful user experience and interfaces for all for, for Bitcoin. And I don't know, like, of course, that's like a fantasy. I don't know. We're we're definitely going to need to re 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 gut out all the filth and swampiness in DC to some extent. I think the midterms might help with that. And I also think that even if it doesn't, then there's still some sort of sovereignty between states and hopefully we see some secession because I think that would be great. If Davos wins, that means that that's basically not possible. Right? Because I mean they, they're they're trying to do like this new new world order thing by you know getting these other countries into nato so they can just be on like their their watch right and just have this top-down authoritarian control and if they win that means that you don't have that breakaway and that's that state sovereignty so you know i like to see states like texas and florida and whoever else secede and go on go their own way however that looks and again, that sounds like pie in the sky as well. But I guess I'll leave it with a, a, a formula for success that I think would be interesting is, I always show this, but it's a speech called by Hans Hermann Hoppe called What Must Be Done. And he gave it in 1997 at some Mises event, I think, in Los Angeles. And he essentially lays out what we need to do as individuals and states to work against like a totalitarian top-down federal u.s government state and it's essentially the game plan for secession and using your local government and really like voting republican or running that campaign but voting for fiscally conservative and rational policies like lowering taxes and and you know having parent-teacher convert uh yeah, parent-teacher conference or having parents more involved in in uh, just the, the workings of, of school and education and, and stuff like that. Just hyper-localism. And I think that really becomes successful if you pair that with with Bitcoin, just because of the, the fuck-you moneyness of it. And the more boomers and, and parents that see Bitcoin on Fox News or on Tucker, Tucker Carlson and and when, when Glenn Beck has has adam curry as a regular guest and michael malice i mean just the tides of like culture as like left to right as we see it are are changing at such a radical rates and and dynamic and so the truth is breaking out one way or another and i think bitcoin is just the the easiest adjacent tool to to compare that with again i'm just one dude i don't know how this shit looks but i believe in in humans and and uh self-sovereignty and entrepreneurship and as doom and gloomy as things might appear right now i 
I'm really, really optimistic about everything. And Bitcoin and people that want to better themselves are going to lead the way. What a great note to end things on. Um, I couldn't agree more, Phil. I think that's a great take. Um, I think human ingenuity will always win out. And I think a lot of people do say the Bitcoin is a, you know, a bit doomsday, a little bit, you know, pessimistic. I, I really don't think we are. I just think we see the world as it is. Yeah, the Bitcoiners that say porn's bad for you, like, that's annoying. But doom, doomsday porn, just cut that shit out. You're just looking to get off in people's misery. Definitely. I, I, I always say to people, don't sit there and whinge about problems all day if you don't have a solution. I think the Bitcoiners can correctly identify the problems around the world, but they also actually have the solution in the form of a beautiful little orange pill. And I think it is going to make the world a much better place. And we just get the fun of watching it all unfold. Um, so thanks for coming on the Fixer Money podcast, Phil. Um, I had an absolute blast. Um, thanks for everyone who jumped in. Um, if there's no other questions, we're probably going to round it out here. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Luke. This was, this is great. And, uh, everybody follow, follow Luke and the shit that he does. He writes amazing pieces. Uh, I've always been one to kind of get in the, in the weeds of like charts and everything. And I, I know he's not like a magic, like tea leaf kind of reader, but, um, you know, it's, it's cool that there's people like you and, and TXMC, to have that that that's that speciality so uh you know it's awesome what you're doing dude thanks for having me cheers brother back at you keep writing the good articles and keep the podcast up um it's, it's really interesting peace see you guys